Today's scripture reading comes to us from the book of James, chapter 1, verses 13 to 18. Hear now the reading of God's word. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruit of his creatures. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me before we begin. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you so much for being our God, and we thank you for allowing us to come to worship you this day. <clears throat> Lord, as we listen to your word, Lord, please may it be impactful to us. May it touch our souls, help it to grow us and change us to become more of the follower that you will us to be, Lord, Father. And Lord, please use me to speak uh, your words of truth to your people, Lord, and not my own. We thank you in your Son, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. You know, our church uh, <clears throat> here at NCF, we have a a rich liturgy that we go through uh, during our worship service. And if you're new and kind of unfamiliar, you might think, wow, there's a lot of things going on. There's a lot of standing and sitting. There's a lot of listening and a lot of reciting and things like that. We go over so many different things. We confess together. We hear God's response to our confession. We proclaim our faith together. And I think it's a wonderful thing that we have a rich liturgy that we could learn and grow from along with the sermon itself. It reminds us of who we are as individuals, but also connects us together, that we are all in need of a Savior, not just us here in this room or our, our own church members who are watching online, but all of us at the greater church uh, together as well. We participate in the liturgy all together. Some persons, for the most part, I lead and read, and there are responses that we all recite together as well. But if I'm honest with you, there's one part of the liturgy that when I lead, I don't participate in as much as I would hope. Or dare I say, I cannot or feel I cannot participate in as much. Can you guess what part of the liturgy that is? Sorry, my thing is falling out. It is actually during the corporate confession of sin. And more specifically, the part where we all take some time to personally confess our sins to God. The most quietest part of our entire service where we contemplate, reflect on our sins of the past week perhaps and confess to God as we seek his forgiveness. And now you may be thinking, PC, why is this the portion that you participate not as much in or feel you cannot participate in, right? Do you think you're better than us? That because you're a pastor, you are perfect, you commit no sins and you don't fall into temptation? No, it's nothing like that. I understand the gravity of sin. It's just that there's some behind-the-scenes info for you guys, right? As you all close your eyes to pray, after some time, the pianist plays to signal in the end of the prayer time. But guess who is the person that signals the pianist to start playing? And that's right, it's me. I signal the pianist, or today's example would be Christine. I will signal her to start playing the song. And perhaps because I cannot do two things at once, or because I don't want to mess up, I pray a really quick prayer confession in my mind, and then I count down in my head. 
to give you guys ample time to pray. And when you guys are done, or when the time is done, I cue her in, and she starts playing. Right? Don't worry, I do seek God's forgiveness at other times that I pray throughout the week. And today I had ample time because I was not le- leading liturgy. Right? I just don't do it during this portion because I cannot confess and count at the same time. It's my own personal failure. But I appreciate that we have this time together, the confession of sin time, because we are all sinners, and we all have to acknowledge that, and we all have to realize and recognize what sin truly is and how it impacts our lives and how big and the gravity and the weight of what sin is. We sin all the time. We fall into temptation and our sinful desires all the time, but we are thankful that we have a merciful God who forgives us. And now you may be thinking, well, if God is so loving and if God is so merciful, then why does he send temptations to us? Why does he allow us to be tempted? And we can see from our passage that was already read that that line of thinking is not true. James, the half-brother of Jesus, the author of this book, tells us that it's not God who tempts us. God is actually the giver of good things. Let's get back into the text. Verse 13 reads, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. Because God cannot be tempted, he is also not the one who tempts you. God only gives us what his character allows to give us. Since he cannot be tempted, he does not send temptation. Rather, because God is love, He gives us love. Because God is compassionate, he shows us compassion. Because God is just, at times he judges our our sin. But God is merciful, and so he comes back to us with mercy. God is never tempted, and so he does not tempt us. Our God does test our faith. It's true. I shared that before. God tested Abraham's faith with his son Isaac. God tests our faith to grow it. But God doesn't tempt us into doing evil because God doesn't want us to do that. There's a difference between the testing from God and the temptation sent to us by the evil one. As Christians who continue to grow in our faith and mature in our faith, we are not sheltered and shielded from tests or temptations so that we can grow and become more mature. So if temptation is not from God, who is it from? And the Apostle Paul tells us this in 1 Corinthians 7, 5, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your self-control. Satan is the one who tempts us. Temptations are from Satan, the evil one, who knows our lack of of control in areas of life and thus makes us fall into temptation so that we could fall into sin and fall further away from God. Temptations then come from Satan. He knows our weakness. He knows the, bu- the buttons to push in our lives, and he uses that against us. Tests are from God. Temptation is from Satan. Tests are from God to grow our faith. Temptations come from Satan to turn our faith away from God. Verse 14 says, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. James says our desires entice us. It lures us into sin. Because we are sinful beings who need God. If we turn away from him and let ourselves go and not work on the Christian life and the Christian fruit of self-control, we can easily lose our way 
and be dragged into a life of sin. And nowadays, sin is just a button away, is it not? Sin is always at the edge of our fingertips. Now, what do I mean by this? Every one of us in here, at least I would say for all the adults in here, we all have an item that we carry around with us everywhere we go. No matter what walk of life we are in, where we live, what our financial situation may be, we all have something. We all own something in common, and that is the smartphone, correct? We all in here, all the adults at least, owns a smartphone. And what a great technology it is. Information at our fingertips. We can look up anything we want at any time. We can get news. We can get weather updates to see how late or how long we can stay out. We can get directions to various places. Whatever we need, all that we need to do is to open a certain app or go online and go on Google and look it up. What was once confined to the home, the internet is now available everywhere, accessible everywhere. And think about the things we can do and what we can be tempted to look at and participate in. You want to look at things that you shouldn't look at? Hey, it's right there for you. Right? You can access porn at any given moment. You want to gamble? Hey, it's all legal now. Every time I watch sports, is that there's a commercial for FanDuel or Caesar Sports app, right? Gamble at the comfort of your home or at the cafe, wherever. What's $5 here, $10 there? What does it matter? You want to look at social media? You can do that too. But you may just be met with the temptation to gossip about the things that you see, the people that you know there, right? Doing perhaps something you feel they should not do. You may be tempted to covet why do they get all these things, but not me? I want their car. I want their house. I want their lifestyle. You see, temptation is knocking on the door. It's knocking on the door of our hearts, and we have a powerful sin-inducing machine in our pockets. And I'm not, I'm not saying get off the Internet or get off social media, but what I'm saying is know yourself. As Paul says, learn self-control, because if you do not, the devil can take his grasp of you. Know yourself. As James says, each person is tempted by their own desires. Know yourself, as famous West Coast rapper Ice Cube says. You better check yourself before you wreck yourself. Meaning that you need to consider the consequences of your actions before you end up in trouble. You need to consider the consequences of your actions before you end up in trouble. And why do these Christian leaders tell us to fight off temptation? to steer us away from that, and that answer is found in verse 15. Verse 15 says, Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Temptation in and of itself is not sin. We're all tempted to do things. It is when we fall into that temptation that we have committed an act of sin. And if we don't break away from it, James says, when it's fully grown, it brings about death. If we continue a life of sin, ultimately, it can lead you to a life away from God, to fallenness. And a life apart from God leads to our eternal death. Now think about this. All of us may look at our life, whatever vice that we have to bring us our temporary pleasures, and think, I got to control over it. Pat Charles, I can stop at any time. It's not a big deal. But to be honest, it is. 
let me ask you guys in here, all the adults and the YG students here. Have you ever, I'm thinking back, have you ever cheated at school? Yeah, I get, I'm getting nods. Have you ever cheated at school? Like you've cheated on a test, whether it was looking at a friend's paper, whether they knew it or not, or they helped you by not covering it up during the test so that you could kind of copy off of them. I want to say 90%, at least 90% have cheated in, at school. But to keep it safe, I'll say at least 70% of us have cheated in some form at school, right? Whether it's on a test, homework, whatever. Youth group students might be doing it now. You never know, right? It's just me. It's not just me, right? I confess, I, could, I cheated in high school. I cheated in college. I did well in seminary, though. <laughs> there is a temptation to cheat. Why? Perhaps as Asians... Right? We think, I need to get good grades. I need to please my parents with my grades. But I didn't study really hard for this. This, this subject is kind of confusing. I don't understand the questions. Let me, just, let me just peek at my neighbor's test just once, just this once. Right? I'll never do it again. And what happens? If you're a good cheater like I was, you don't get caught. You don't get caught. Right? And then you get a good grade. And it can make you think, huh, I got good results. Nothing bad happened to me. Let me do it again on the next test. Let me do it again. Nothing happens that time. What happens? I'll just do it again. I'll just do it again. I'll just do it again. And you just continue to fall into sin and sin and sin. And it takes a hold of you. And it becomes a part of your life. I don't know if I was good at cheating or if teachers threaten you with punishment if you cheat, but they also don't really care. Right? I don't know. We have a lot of teachers in here. You can tell me later. But we developed this mindset of if it doesn't hurt anyone else, so what? It's my life. Right? That's what sin does. And because we are rewarded with a good score or rewarded with some feeling of satisfaction, we continue and continue to do it, and we don't stop. Now this example, this behavior of cheating on tests at school may have been confined to that time period of our life. Well, when I was in high school, I did that. When I was in college, I did that. Whatever. There's no difference with the sins that control us now, the temptations that come to us now. As our lifestyle changes and our life stage changes, the evil one knows what to entice us with now. What he entices us with when we're children is different from what he entices, entices us with now. Right? Ultimately, to fall into sin and to fall away from God. That's what he's trying to do. The evil one brings us temptation to bring about our death, right? He lies to us. It's okay. It won't hurt. Don't worry about it. Think about the first lie that Satan ever gave to Eve in Genesis chapter 3, verse 4. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. You will not die. Just eat it. It's good. And yet, we know that lie that caused the sin that sin to make Eve and Adam eat the fruit, think that they will not die, actually did bring about the death and decay of humankind itself. The evil one brings us destruction and bad things. James tells us, though, that our God gives us only good things. Right? Verses 16 to 17 says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. James says, don't be deceived. Don't blame God for your sin. 
for you falling into temptation. First off, those are not of God. And second, those are things God does not wish you to fall into in the first place. God doesn't send you bad things. Rather, James says all the good things are from God. All the good, good gifts come from God. God is love, you get love. God is compassionate, you get his compassion. God is merciful, here's a bountiful plate of mercy. That's how it works. James also makes the note that God doesn't change. So if he sends good gifts in the past to his people, he'll send good gifts to his people now, and he'll send them to them in the future as well. God doesn't change. There's no variation. And finally, verse 18, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Excuse me. God, through his grace, his desire, his own choosing and his will, brought us, his chosen people, to salvation by the word of truth, the gospel. And what is the gospel? It's Christ crucified, of course. But not only that, but also Christ resurrected, of course. That whoever believes in this truth will receive the gifts as shared in verse 17, the gift gift, the perfect gift. And out of all the good gifts that God tries to bestow upon you and bless you with in life, he has given you the best gift, which is Jesus Christ's sacrifice for all of us. That whoever believes will be the first fruits of the harvest to be the ones in heaven for eternity with God. You see, temptations you face in life are not from God because our God only gives you and desires to give you good things. The devil, rather, is the one that sends the temptations to lead us into sin and bring about our death. Our God sends us his son that if you believe, leads to salvation and brings us life. So I ask you, what temptations do you face in life? We all deal with temptations, and we always feel that there's no way around it. There's no way to get out of it. But that also is not true. I shared before how the tests that God sends us are all passable. Right? That all the tests that God sends us in our, in our life is to grow and mature our faith. All tests are passable because every test, school test, work test, are not in place to make us fail. If we know the material, we're supposed to pass. And I said it's the same with the test of God because all the tests that God sends us is a test of our faith. And if your faith is strong and secure, the stronger and more secure it is, the easier it is for you to pass those tests. And you may respond to this by saying, yes, I get it. I should pass the test. But isn't temptations different? Why does it seem so hard to break away from temptation? There surely is no way out from it. And if you think this way, oh, how wrong you are. The Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way to escape, that you may be able to endure it. What is Paul saying? All of us, for the most part, face the same temptations. Temptations on idolatry, very common. Temptation with money, temptation in relationships. Some of us may be more prone to fall into certain temptations than others. But for the most part, we all face similar things in life. But what does Paul say at the end? God is faithful to us. He won't let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. He will provide a way out. And what this tells us then is you are able, should be able to overcome your temptations. 
how do we then do this? I propose two ways. First, because we all face temptations that are common to all people, we should understand this and help each other. Think about my previous sermon this year, maybe the first sermon I gave this year. I asked, can you be an encourager? Can you be there for each other? You can help each other because you know or should know what each other are going through in life. You should be able to understand each other for the most part. What it's like being a Christian living in this world, being a Christian in New York, right? Having trouble with relationships, fighting with your spouse, with your children, with your parents, with your friends, with your siblings, with your boss. We've all been there. We all understand what that's like. We understand that struggle. Having financial difficulties, making us perhaps try to cheat or go about business in unethical ways to get ahead. We know what that feels like. The harshness of finances and trying to break away from that. You're sad with the lot in life. You covet things of others, the lifestyle of others. We've all been there too, right? And because we have experienced all of these types of emotions and feelings and these temptations ourselves, perhaps some of us have better control of certain areas of temptation than others. And so we can help those who lack control and vice versa. Seek the help of your fellow brothers and sisters. We say here at NCF all the time, what's our motto? Life together. Life together NCF. Right? We put it on, we, that's one of the hashtags we put on uh, every Instagram post. Life together NCF. And if we really are doing life together, then we support, help, and lift up, and perhaps try at times to be the escape from temptation that we each need. That we should be able to go to each other vulnerably and share, this is what I'm struggling with. This is my temptation. Can you help me? And we should be met with grace and love from each other as opposed to judgment from each other. The second way to escape temptation is have a deep, right relationship with God. And that sounds simple enough. But why? Because when you're right with God, it seems nothing else matters. It seems like the small issues don't matter anymore. Think about it this way. When your life is good, think back to when your life was like really good and like, oh, life is great right now. Whatever stage of life that was. Did you let small things get to you? I would say most likely not. The times when I'm really right with God, small things come up like, eh, whatever. I'm good because I'm good with God. When your life is good and you're filled with joy in your heart and you're driving and somebody cuts you off, what do you say? Maybe don't say anything. Hey, maybe they're in a rush. They got places to go. No problem. But when you're stressed and you're angry and someone cuts you off, you show them a certain finger and you say some certain adjectives you probably shouldn't be saying. Let's just tell us, when your heart is right with God, even those small things, eh, no problem. It's okay. So when you're right with God, those temptations become easier to, to fight off. When you're right with God and have his peace and love flowing through you, it's easier to fight off that temptation because we know the simple temporary pleasures in life do not compare to the everlasting pleasure found in God. And remember, our Jesus, our Lord and Savior, our elder brother was tempted too. Hebrews chapter 2, 18 says, For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. 
and also in Hebrews chapter 4.15, For we do not have a high priest, this is Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. These two verses in Hebrew tells us that Jesus himself was tempted. He knows what it's like, the feeling of it. He just never fell into the temptation. He knows that we are weaker than he is. And so he's there for us. He understands. So we have to cry out to our Lord for help and guidance. We are sinful creatures and we face temptations all the day long. And we may think, well, why doesn't God just take it away? Why doesn't God just take away our temptations? If God doesn't want me to sin, he wouldn't send temptation my way. He wouldn't make me struggle with these things. And Warren Wiersbe says this. He says, God does not want us to yield to temptation, yet neither can he spare us the experience of temptation. We are not God's sheltered people. We are God's scattered people. If we are to mature, we must face testing and temptations. Well, what is he saying? God doesn't want us to fall into the temptation, but he also doesn't stop the temptations coming to us because we're not sheltered. We're supposed to grow. Parents in here, when your kids are young, when they're babies, you do everything for them, right? As they get older and older, what do you do? You have to loosen the rope a little bit. You have to let them learn from their mistakes a little bit. You can't be overprotective because then they they won't grow. They won't mature. They won't know how to face life in this world. They won't know how to deal with the hardships and the failures that come in this world, right? As much as we hate to see it, I don't want my kid to fail. I don't want my kid to get hurt. You have to let them go through that at times so that they could grow and learn how to handle and become a productive member of society. That's what Warren Wiersbe is saying. God doesn't shelter us because if, in the end, what he wants from us is to continue to grow and mature as a Christian. That we grow and become better at this life that we're able to say, okay, this temptation, I'm not going to fall for it anymore. That's what he wants. God wants us to be his mature people, his growing people. And God knows for us to mature and grow our faith, we must face the tests and pass them and also face the temptations and overcome them. It's just another part of the growing of our faith and the sanctification of our souls. James is teaching his readers about how to do Christian living, how to mature faith, and he's teaching us the same thing today. We face temptations in life. Our sinful nature draws us to it, and we are lured and enticed by our desires. And many times, more often than not, we fall over into our temptations. Seek God's forgiveness when that happens, because our God does forgive us if we truly repent. Then help each other fight against the temptations. Know that we all face them. And help each other learn a level of self-control. And always remember, there is an escape. There is a way out. As much as your phone can be a device that leads you into sin, it's also a device that can help you, lead you into help. By calling the numbers of your fellow believers in here, seeking their help, their advice, and their counsel. Always remember, there is an escape. And the best escape, then, is to be right with God that we truly desire to seek him and the pleasure and joy found only in him above all earthly pleasures. Overcome your temptation. Help each other overcome them. Point each other to the good gifts of God and continue to mature your faith. Let's pray together. 
Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you so much for your being our God. Lord, we seek your forgiveness that we blame you for our failings. We failures, we blame you and say, why did you make us like this if you didn't want us to do this, Lord God? But Lord, as we've read today, as we learned today, it's our own evil desire that brings us into temptation and ultimately in sin. But forgive us. Forgive the sins of our lives, Lord Father, and help us to truly turn more to you. Help us to become people who help each other escape from temptation, to overcome them. Help us to build up the fruit of self-control, to live a life worthy to be called your child, O Lord. Continue to guide us and keep us always. We thank you. In your son's name we pray. Amen.